For several weeks, we've been on a journey together in God's Word, going through the book of Acts and the first seven chapters. And as we have looked at these uh, verses together, we come to the conclusion of our series that I've entitled, It's Your Move. We noticed that uh, when the Holy Spirit came to the life of believers, uh, the church got moving. And uh, they became a force for good and righteousness in their community. And I know that everyone who's a believer in Christ has a hope and a desire that having been around other people, your contribution to their lives will make a lasting difference. And this morning, what I want to talk to you about from God's Word as we're looking together this morning, starting in Acts chapter 6, the title of our message this morning is Making Your Life Count. I felt like that was a, a very appropriate message given that this is uh, the weekend when many are honoring uh, the life of Martin Luther King and his contributions and the number of people whose lives were impacted because of the sacrifices that he made and the contribution he made to the movement for so many people. And it's typical of us that if something doesn't impact us directly as much as someone else, we don't think about it as much, but there are literally millions of people whose lives have been changed because of his contribution. This morning there's a theme, and it will help before we look at God's Word if you write this down and keep it in mind as we work through God's Word this morning. It's a sentence, and I want to share it with you right now. It is, you don't have to live to an old age to make a tremendous impact for Christ. Mark that down. You don't have to live to an old age to make a tremendous impact for Christ. 17-year-old Nathan Johnson is someone that I knew. He was a junior rising senior at Beach Senior High School in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Nathan played on the high school football team. He also played on the high school uh, soccer club. And Nathan was well-liked by a lot of people. He was faithful in his attendance to church, and he, was, he lived his faith for Christ out loud. Uh, those people who wanted to be around him knew they were going to hear something about Jesus. But more importantly, as a teenager, you could see the difference Jesus made in Nathan's life through the choices that he made. Now, just to let you know a little bit about him, Nathan was not a stick in the mud, <laughs> Uh, Nathan was out and active and had friends uh, from all different groups in his high school. And uh, it is said that, that Nathan could go to a party, and if there was underage drinking taking place at the party, Nathan wasn't an underage drinker. He didn't do that, and he didn't curse. But Instead, what you would find is typically Nathan would be overseated on a couch with his guitar, and there'd be a group of people gathered around him. They'd be singing together some songs there on the couch. He just was a magnet. People would be attracted to him. On his way to an early morning football practice in August, before the season was to begin one month later, 
Nathan Johnson was driving himself to that early morning workout. And he dropped his cell phone. And he bent over to pick it up. And his car veered over into oncoming traffic. He struck a cement truck head on and died at the scene of the accident. And I want to share with you what his dad shared with me sometime later is please don't look at your cell phone when you're driving. Two thousand people attended Nathan Johnson's funeral service. Most of Beach Senior High School, certainly those who knew him well, were there along with many adults and other friends from friends of parents and and at that funeral service it was a a difficult funeral, but an easy funeral to preach as well because Nathan's life, the way he had lived his life. And in that service, the pastor talked about Nathan's relationship with Jesus and his love and concern for other people. And while he was there, he said, you know, if you would like to have the same joyful fulfilling life that Nathan Johnson had, you can have that if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And something that was extraordinary, certainly unusual, but quite appropriate, given the moment and given the opportunity, the pastor extended an invitation at the conclusion of the funeral service. And 200 students and adults came forward to publicly profess their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In our text today, we're going to meet a man named Stephen. And like Nathan Johnson, Stephen's life was relatively short in years, but long on impact. Stephen was one of those who came to faith in Jesus Christ through the preaching of the apostles. And because he was among that number, he had not been a believer in Jesus Christ for very long, but he was quite familiar with the scriptures as he had been a faithful practicer of uh, the Jewish faith. And that is what had drawn him to Jerusalem in the first place. He, along with thousands of others, had come there to celebrate the annual feast that the Jews had traveled to Jerusalem to uh, celebrate at the time when Jesus was crucified. And this morning, we're going to follow Stephen's story as we pick up his story in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And I want you to follow along with me there as we begin the reading. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. 
Opposition arose, however, from some members of the Freedmen's Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, and they began to argue with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders, and the scribes. So they came and they seized him and they took him to the Sanhedrin. They also presented false witnesses who said, This man never stopped speaking against this holy place and the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Are these things true? The high priest asked. In many respects, Stephen's life mirrored the life of Jesus. And I want to point out a few of those similarities this morning. First of all, Stephen was one of those people chosen by the believers to be one of the apostles' assistants. You remember last week we read in Acts chapter 6, verse 3 through 5, that the apostles were uh, busy preaching the word, but they were also trying to serve those who were in need. And they couldn't meet all the needs, so they asked the church, choose some people from among you who have certain characteristics, certain qualities that we can entrust this duty to. And Stephen was one of the people that they selected. He was one of the seven. Like Jesus, Stephen was a servant. And also, like Jesus, when we look at Stephen's life, we see here in our text that God was working in Stephen's life in powerful ways. And to validate the gospel message that Stephen was proclaiming, God accompanied it with great signs and great wonders, just as he had with Jesus. We notice also that Jesus and Stephen both stood before the Sanhedrin, the highest Jewish court in their day. In fact, the same people who had tried Jesus just uh, 60 days earlier, eight weeks earlier, were the same people that Stephen stood before this day and they were charging him with blasphemy just as they had charged Jesus. We notice also that both Jesus and Stephen had false charges brought against them. Now when you look at verse 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, the word that we have given to us here in the text says, as the high priest asked Stephen, are these things true? <laughs> I, I, I read that question, and really what's being said when the high priest says these words to Stephen is, 
How do you plead, guilty or innocent? Well, Stephen couldn't answer the charges simply with the yes or no. He needed to explain. And so what happens is, Stephen addresses the charges that are brought against him. And yes, it is true that he had said something about Jesus coming and that uh, the temple... Uh, And those things related to temple worship had changed because Jesus came. He further said this, the customs which Moses had given would be uh, altered because Jesus came. But he wanted to make clear what he meant. And his reply that is given begins in the second verse of Acts chapter 7. And it goes all the way through the 50th verse. It's the longest sermon in the book of Acts. Now, I don't know if you'll be relieved or not, but I'm not going to read the sermon this morning. (laughs) But I do want to summarize it for you quickly. Acts chapter 7 is Stephen's brilliant defense of what he believed, and it's really a review of the history of God's dealings with Israel. In his message, Stephen answers the two charges against him, and he brings a charge of his own against his accusers. His answer to their charge regarding Moses is summed up in verse 37, and I want you to look at what he says there. Stephen answers the high priest and those standing there by saying this, This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. Now, what was Stephen's answer to the charge that was brought against him about what he had said about the traditions and the practices that Moses had introduced to the Israelites through the laws that God gave him? Well, he had said that things were going to change, that God was going to raise up another prophet who, like himself, would speak to the people and would give a whole new set of provisions for life. And then he answers the charge concerning the temple in a brief section toward the close of his message, starting at verse 44 and going through verse 50. And this is what he says, God does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands. So Stephen takes God's word and he says, there is no building that can be made by man that can hold God because God's the creator of everything. He's over everything. Now up to this point, the members of the Sanhedrin had remained relatively calm. They listened to him as he gave his explanations, speaking from the scriptures and taking them and reviewing Israelite history with which they themselves were familiar But we noticed that there was a dramatic change in their attitude as Stephen charged them with turning their back on the very God they presumed to serve. And let's pick up the reading in verse 51 of Acts chapter 7. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. I'm just believing that maybe he had skipped that Carnegie class on how to win friends and influence people 
You're always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestors did, you do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels, and yet you have not kept it. Wow, that's an unloaded. Uh, he, he just kind of puts it the way the Holy Spirit places it on his heart. And he says, this is the real situation here. This is what we're dealing with. And as he continued speaking, you, you can feel the heat rising in the room, right? And so what happens as a result of what Stephen says, the more he talked, the more his listeners became irate until finally they just couldn't take any more from him. And this is what it says beginning at verse 57. Follow along with me there. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together they rushed against him. And they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. There's another common element connecting him with Jesus. Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice. Look here. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he died. And chapter 8 verse 1 says, Saul agreed with putting him to death. And on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Something that's true of Stephen's life should be true for every believer in Jesus. Like Stephen... Every believer in Jesus should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let me make something clear. The average Christian may not be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the normal Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. Three different times, Dr. Luke, who was meticulous about doing his research and writing things down accurately, three different times when Stephen's name is mentioned in this section that we're looking at together right now, as well as the one from last week, three different times it says in the Scriptures that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not talking about the average Christian life. But what we're talking about is what God calls normal for a believer in Jesus Christ. When you and I are saved, the Holy Spirit becomes resident in our lives. And after we're saved, the Holy Spirit becomes president 
in our lives. The Holy Spirit was president in Stephen's life. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, there were other things that were evident in his life. There was wisdom. There was faith. There was power. And there was grace. The way to make our lives count is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every one of us can make a difference. I want you to notice with me this morning as we review this passage together is that first of all, the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom to speak for Christ. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom to speak for Christ. In Acts chapter 6, verse 10, it says this, But they were unable to stand up against the wisdom and the Spirit by which he was speaking. Now before his death, Jesus had said to his disciples, his followers, he says, but before all these things, that is before the end times, they'll lay their hands on you and they will persecute you. And they will hand you over to the synagogues and they'll hand you over to the prisons and you'll be brought before kings and governors because of my name. Now among those who disputed with Stephen when he was presenting his case to the high priest before the Sanhedrin was a brilliant young Jew, Saul of Tarsus, who was listening to every word that was said. Saul was stirred by the things that Jesus, that uh, Stephen said and perhaps even this is the very word that God began to use to bring conviction into the heart of Saul who later becomes the apostle Paul as a follower of Jesus but he's not a follower of Jesus at this point he's very adamant about defending the word of God and making sure no one blasphemes the Word of God. Now he arises and he disputes with Stephen. But he is unable to refute what Stephen is saying from the Scriptures. And this is what Saul begins to realize. Saul begins to realize he had knowledge of the Scripture. But Stephen had knowledge and wisdom. Anyone can have knowledge of the Scripture. You can memorize verses and quote Scripture to the cows come home. Anyone can have knowledge of the Scriptures. But Stephen had knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is more than knowledge. Wisdom is God's supernatural ability to apply the Scriptures to life. It's when the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and begins to speak to you and to me about the things that are going on in our lives and speaks to us and tells us, here's how you are supposed to line up with God's will. That takes the Spirit of God to bring that about. And the wisdom of God that was present in Stephen was being able to work out this message and to apply it to life in such a way that these people had no defense. 
Stephen's message is a testimony to his wisdom and his insight into the scriptures. You remember what Jesus says of us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13? Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, I would assume that many of you have a salt shaker on your kitchen table or perhaps somewhere nearby on the countertop that you bring out when you serve the food. Maybe you use a little bit of salt when you're doing your cooking. Certainly when you go out to a restaurant, you look for a salt and pepper shaker or you look for those little packets that you know you can't open without getting frustrated. Need to be full of the Holy Spirit when you open those packets. <clears throat> what do we know about salt? We know that salt flavors. Salt preserves. You know if you have an open wound and you put salt on it, it stinks. It irritates. It also penetrates. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom to speak for Christ, and it's the Holy Spirit that makes our witness salty. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom to speak for Christ. But notice also as we look at Stephen's life, the Holy Spirit gives us power to stand for Christ. Going back to verses 51 to 53, look at it again. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're always resisting the Holy Spirit. Your ancestors did. You do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the, of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels, and yet you have not kept it. Now, nobody likes the idea of being ridiculed. I mean, I, I don't. I don't assume that you like it when people oppose you or when people persecute you or single you out or use a kind of uh, reverse uh, discrimination against you by saying because you have conviction, you're closed-minded. And, you know, we don't like it when people single us out like that. Nobody likes the idea of being opposed, ridiculed, persecuted. But let me tell you what courage is. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. Courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the presence of God. It's the presence of God in a situation where one would naturally be fearful but rather than being afraid to take a stand you recognize that God's presence is with me and you don't think about the presence of fear you think about the presence of Jesus in that situation a victim in a courtroom had been beaten up and the one accused him of giving in the beating was also there in the courtroom and the prosecuting attorney put the victim on the stand and he asked him this question. Would you please describe to the court the individual who assaulted you? 
And the victim said, well, I'd rather not. You see, that's what I was doing when he beat me up. In the verses that we read this morning, Stephen is describing those who had actually beaten and killed Jesus, the very people that were standing in front of him. Jesus had said when he was here on this earth, speaking in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he said this. He said, now don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, what does that mean? It means if we kneel before God, we can stand before anybody. Now, someone's thinking, well, pastor, I'm just not wired that way. That's just not, that's just not me. Can I tell you something? Neither am I. But we're not talking about our natural ability or our natural wiring. What we're talking about is the supernatural filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives that gives us the power to stand for Christ. Now, Stephen was an ordinary man, but lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometime later, this Saul of Tarsus, who turns to faith in Christ is speaking to a young preacher boy named Timothy. And he writes these words to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, look at these words. Share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom to speak for Christ and gives us power to stand for Christ. The Holy Spirit also gives us faith to suffer for Christ. Chapter 7, verses 57. Look at it again with me. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. And while they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this against them. And after saying this, he died. Faith will not keep us from suffering, but it enables us to suffer for Christ. Now, the thing that we need to remember is that God, whatever happens in our life, is not watching from a distance. He's in the arena with us. Everything we go through, He goes through with us. The key to understanding the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the actions of Stephen here lies in what's said back in verses 55 and 56, which we haven't read. It says, verse 55, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, 
gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen was intimately acquainted with Jesus Christ. He had a clear vision of Jesus in front of him. You know you can bear suffering for Christ if you're intimately acquainted with him. And the closer we walk with Jesus, the scripture tells us the more we're going to suffer for Jesus. Now that is a foreign word to this congregation and most Christians living in America. In fact, we hardly can even relate to this passage. But let me tell you what Scripture says. The Scripture says the closer you and I walk to Jesus, the more we're going to suffer for Jesus. Second Timothy 3 verse 12 says this. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Friend, you read that correctly. All. A-L-L. All. Not some. Not a few. But all who are intimately acquainted with Jesus, all who walk with Him closely, will be persecuted. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16, the Scripture says this, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now look at these words. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. When we're walking closely with Jesus, sometimes we'll get 3,000 souls like Peter did on the day of Pentecost. And sometimes when we're walking closely with Jesus, like Stephen, we'll get 3,000 stones thrown at us. In my study of the passage in the Greek text, I discovered something very interesting And that is that the Greek word that is translated witness is the same word that is used for martyr. It is the Greek word, listen to this, martyrio. And it's translated as witness and martyr. I looked at this passage and it helped me to read it in a different light. Stephen was the first Christian martyr, the first to die for his faith in Christ, but this is what I discovered. Stephen wasn't a martyr because he died. Stephen died because he was a witness. 
Now let's read that familiar verse, Acts 1.8, a little differently than perhaps we've read it before. Jesus is speaking. You will be my martyrs. Friends, persecution and suffering don't make martyrs. They only reveal them. Stephen died like Jesus because Stephen lived like Jesus. I don't know if you have many thoughts about going to heaven. I suppose at different times in our lives, if we know Christ, we'll have thoughts about that. I I get concerned with myself, to be perfectly honest, because I don't think about heaven probably near as often as I ought to. I'm kind of like the fellow who, you know, Heard about the guy who was excited about going to heaven. Get on the bus. We're going to heaven. He wanted to go to heaven, but he just didn't want to go right now. I think about heaven. I think about, really, how wonderful it's going to be to meet Jesus face to face. Man, that's going to be incredible. You know, we have a song that we sing, casting down our golden crowns around His throne. But when I was studying this passage, I I looked at all the throng of those people who will be gathered around the throne. And I began to see the faces and hear the stories of those who had died for their faith in Christ. And I pictured all the hosts of heaven turning and looking my direction as the question was asked, what's your story? I think if we're perfectly honest, today in our society, we want to live just enough like Jesus so that we can fit in with the Christians and just enough like the world so that we can fit in with the world as well and not be singled out or thought of as being a weirdo. The Holy Spirit gives us the faith to live for Christ. And that comes because we are intimately acquainted with Jesus. Lastly, I want you to notice with me, the Holy Spirit gives us the grace to forgive like Christ. Verse 70 tells us, Stephen knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And here, of course, is another similarity between Stephen and Jesus. We recall that on the cross, 
while Jesus was hanging there, that some of his final words from the cross were looking upon those who were responsible for his crucifixion and crying out to his father in prayer and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The word forgive means to cease to have feelings of anger or bitterness toward. You know, it's not easy to forgive those who hurt us. I don't know about you, but when somebody hurts me, the natural reaction is, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You speak bad about me, let me tell you a few things about you. It's not easy to forgive others who hurt us. But we're not talking about the natural response. We're talking about the supernatural grace of God to forgive others that comes when we are full of the Holy Spirit. Being full of the Holy Spirit may not be true for the average Christian, but it's the normal Christian life. Scripture says this to us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Filled with the Holy Spirit, the grace of God enables us to forgive others who have hurt us. How does God forgive us? Let's let Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 answer that question. God says, for I will forgive their wrongdoing and will never again remember their sins. That sounds good, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit gives us grace to forgive like Jesus. The way to make our lives count is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to walk in the Spirit. When we're filled and we're walking in the Spirit, we'll have wisdom to speak for Christ, we'll have power to stand for Christ, we'll have faith to suffer for Christ, and we'll have the grace to forgive like Christ. This is what we read in the scriptures. And now we hear the voice of God saying to us, It's your move. It's your move. I want us to bow our heads together this morning. And, uh, Tom's done such a wonderful job in leading us to prepare our hearts through a time of confession.
having talked to God about confession and getting all that junk out in, front, in the open before Him and feeling the cleansing of God wash over us, Something needs to come in and fill that void vacated by all that sin and all that junk. And I wonder if you would pray with me this morning this prayer. Father, empty me of myself and fill me with yourself. My desires, my relationships with friends, my husband, my spouse, my children. Lord, there is hope in every relationship because the Holy Spirit makes a difference. I believe that. Listen, friend, the Holy Spirit works through you, but only if the Holy Spirit is in you. We don't ask for the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. Our first move is to ask Jesus to come into our heart. And when we ask Jesus to come into our heart to save us, the Holy Spirit is given to us at that moment. Now today, it may be that you have not yet trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you have not professed your faith in Christ as Michael mentioned earlier, we're going to be having a time next week where those who have professed their faith in Christ are going to give a public testimony of following the Lord in believers' baptism. They're not being baptized to be saved. They're being baptized because they have been saved. And maybe that's your desire. You've been holding on and you have yet to be baptized. Maybe that's something that's holding you back in your obedience to Christ. Would you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today? Would you say to Him, Jesus, come in and save me. Forgive me. Thank you for loving me and dying on the cross for me and rising from the dead. I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. Would you make that your commitment today? Let's stand together, may we, as we respond to the Lord.